0: That's good. We live? Oh, <laughs> what's up, good people? It's time for another session of that verbal cardio. Man. We back, man. We back, and I got my co-host, Water. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Afro Geeks for the mill of water containers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. yo this water container right here was forged in asgard you know where thor went to get his weapon and in, uh infinity war that's where this that's where this water gallon was made you remember he had to go to you know peter dinklage was a giant and he had to go in there and then he had to restart the star up and then he had to get that going and then You know, they barely was able to do it. He had a son on his back, and then, you know, Groot came in with the handle in the fourth quarter. You know what I'm saying? That's where this was made, man. Love it. Shout out to Afro Geeks for this. Thank you so much. Um, Make sure you're drinking water, y'all. Make sure you are drinking water, okay? I don't want no excuses. I don't want to hear nothing about nothing. Make sure you are drinking water, okay? If you can't do a gallon a day, do 64 ounces a day. You know what I'm saying? Just make sure you get multiple gallons of water a day. So see how much water you had today so far. He probably had about 32 ounces. Yeah. Yeah. How much is that whole container? 32. Oh, the whole thing is 32. Oh, yeah. So no, I've had half of that. About 16? Yeah. About 16. All right. You know what I'm saying? It's 144, you know, he can step it up just a little bit. But, you know, you know, he working on it. You know, hopefully he can finish about two of those for the day. We got Sincere, Behind the Camel, working the ones and twos. You know what I mean? Uh, shout out to my Patreon people. They are here live. My patron saints, appreciate y'all for pulling up. Sorry I'm late. Uh, daddy issues ran long and... Um, so I, I'm late, so I'm sorry, guys. Shout out to Jerome Sanders Robinson, uh, Alicia, uh, Pretty Pisces, actually, Slarita, Nikia, Juan San, Dance Fitness with Nikki, um, Derek Duplan, Duplan, no, Duplan. First of all, Duplan is dope. I'm not sure if I even said it right. Jalita Green, Isaac Gentry, you know what I'm saying, uh. The Ma- wait, I don't even know how to say this name right. You know what I'm saying? The math, oh, the math whiz. What the hell? I'm struggling to read that. The math whiz? sister girl on films, Nikki P. The way it was spelled, uh, sincere. Don't be judging me. It just looked weird, all smashed up together. The math whiz, man, I'm tripping. I'm tripping, y'all. Atlanta smoke shop. What up, man? Anyway, man, I'm glad y'all are here live. Um, man, the name struggle. We be out here struggling. Sabrina Sith is in the building. Um, here's the thing, guys. I have been, I've been looking at, you know, I monitor everything I post. I monitor the numbers. I monitor their performance. I monitor everything. So verbal cardio's view numbers are too low for me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not with it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think the numbers are too low. So I got to figure out what the deal is. Now, somebody said something in the comment section of Daddy Issues that really resonated with me this morning. He said, Tone, this is uh, G. King. I don't know if it's uh, G. King, the comedian, that's my boy. No, it's a different G. King. He said, Tone, you're going to see the view difference when you talk about movies rather than when you get on this podcast. He was like, because your movie knowledge is wild. And so I was thinking, I was like, yo, okay. I took that in and was like, man, he might be right. Because for, first and foremost, I love movies. It's something. They Movies are something I'm always watching. I'm always watching movies. I'm always doing this. And when I first started Verbal Cardio, I started by talking about movies every episode it'd be a particular movie i was talking about and then that would spill off into other things so i was like man let me bring it back to the essence of what i love to talk about which is movies i can talk movies all day and night we talking movies i start talking everything else you know what i'm saying i have no problem sitting in the room with one other person and we sitting in there quiet i have no issue with that but once we start talking about movies and actors and, and i can really go in i can talk for hours so i think i'm bringing that movie element back because i was in here you know what I'm what saying trying to do current events current topics and that's cool but i think the essence of the show and the essence of me is really movies man you know what y'all was saying in the uh in the chats where, yeah he's right facts So I think I'm bringing the movie angle back to verbal cardio, just so. And I'm gonna see, I'm gonna see if he was right to see, to see if I get my view change. See if I get my view numbers to change. We'll see. Also, white skibbity paps. Come on, man. On sale till Friday. Get your white skibbity. Got the kid sizes as well, man. Get your white skibbity, man. Go to my Instagram. Click the link in my bio. Get your white skibbity. You know what I'm saying? Or head to Tony Baker Haberdasheries and click the link on that bio. You know what I'm saying? getting in on the white. Now, with that being said, I'm going to just brush on some current topics real quick, and then I'm going to go into the movie portion of this thing, all right? And I already got an angle queued up on what I want to tackle. Okay, so trending topics real quick. Uh, people defend Paul Wall after a tweet of a woman asking why he was considered acceptable back in the day. Um, Hey, Miss Cam on Twitter was like, I want to know what was it about the social climate that made Bubba Sparks and Paul Wall acceptable back in the day? And people came in and defended Paul Wall. Here's the thing. What did Paul Wall do that was offensive? You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. Like, what did he do that was offensive to where we'll we'll be like, nah, man, this ain't going to fly in this day and age. To me, Paul Wall felt genuine. Paul Wall, like, you know, I never looked at Paul Wall and was like, yo, this dude fronting. I felt like, yo, this, this is who he is, you know. He smiled a lot. I was telling Sabrina this the other day. I was like, yo, Paul Wall might be the rapper that smiles the most. And I know he makes grills. That's part of his business, too. But he's always smiling. I was like, yo, this is this is refreshing in hip-hop. Because rappers be acting like they can't smile out here. Lil Uzi be smiling and Paul Wall. Everybody else be all serious and you know what I'm saying. And I'm like, yeah, man, we ain't smiling out here. Paul Wall always felt authentic to me. And, you know, if he grew up in that culture and, you know, he's from Houston, if, if that if that's who he really is, then we all for it. Like, you know, when I posted Paul Wall on my Instagram the other day talking about the hand rub, the comment section, I can feel the love people have for Paul Wall in the comment section. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I, I, I just feel like she shouldn't have targeted him in that tweet. I just feel like you know it wasn't necessary for Paul Wall, and I bought I bought Bubba Sparks' uh, CD. I bought that joint. I bought that joint. You know what I mean? But Paul Wall is a different story, man. I just feel like he's the people's champ. You know what I mean? Uh, so I feel like you know I, was, I feel like it was kind of misguided, and he definitely ain't in the ranks of like somebody like Iggy Azalea, who totally feels fake. To me, in my opinion, just on how, you know, she delivers her raps, especially being that she's Australian, white, and sounding like she rapping from the South. It's just like, oh, hold on, man. What's happening here? But Paul Wall, man, he good with me, man. He good with me out here. And I'm a hip-hop head, and I'm black. So Paul Wall good over here. Is she a whole Australian, Nicky P.? Uh, another trending topic, Easy es gravestone finally gets corrected after having the wrong birth year on it since his death almost 25 years ago. So you mean to tell me that they fumbled on this man's gravestone? First of all, funerals and gravestones are expensive. And I imagine that Easy es uh, tombstone is not cheap. I imagine that out the gate. How you gonna have this man's birth date wrong, man? Come on, man. come on. Who did this? Who's responsible for the fumble? And why does it take so long for the fumble to get found out? Twenty-five years. He died when I was in high school. I was in high school a long time ago. That's when he died. And I'm like, y'all just now fixing it? No, come on, man. Don't don't do easy e like this. NWA Easy E. Bone Thugs and Harmony, Ruthless Records. Don't be doing, don't do easy like this, man. Get the birth year right. Because his birth was crucial to us. NWA is important to us, man. And the legacy and the whole shebang. And I still feel like it's very, it's something very suspicious about his death, man. Something just ain't right. It was, it was too quick. It was too quick, man. Something just, something about his death never sat right in my soul. I'm like, did he give up spiritually? Did he just give up on life and just be like, I'm out, y'all, man. Something something happened to, to you know, propel his death to a quicker dimension, man. Because I was like, wait a minute, hold on now. That quick, like, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying, full blown A's, he's dead. It was that it was quick. And I'm just like, man, I don't know. I don't know. And everybody around him was like, you know, he wasn't sickly like that. You know, there's a few days where he was like struggling with his health and like, you know, his breathing. But, you know, if you got the full blown, that that, you know, you, you should have been like, you know, long term. You know, symptoms and visuals should have been going on long term. Like with people around you like, man, why you are you losing weight? What's going on? Like, you, you know, your skin, you're looking dark around the eyes. It's going to be like a progression of just like you seeing a person. And, and for you to be already in the full-blown AIDS stage of it all, you can see that visually usually. You can be like, man, this, you all right? Like you know, that's when you start asking, "You good?" You know what I'm saying, and and nobody nobody that was around him had those type of stories. With like, man, you know what I'm saying. Even even in videos, it was like he was looking robust. He wasn't all skinny at all. He was kind of chubbed out on a for the love of money video. So stuff like that. It's just like, man, I don't know. Nah, it creeps up on you. When my brother was diagnosed, we never—oh, he never noticed any symptoms. He was just skinny. Was your brother—was your brother uh, always skinny? Was he like you know, just a thin dude by nature, or anything like that? My aunt passed away from cancer within a month of finding out she was sick. She ignored the symptoms. Man. Yeah, he's about my size. Oh man, that's tough. He had he had AIDS as well, or was it cancer? It masquerades as other illnesses. Now that is true, because that that's what uh, that's what AIDS is. Really, it's like, really, with HIV and AIDS, it's just a virus that. Weakens your immune system and your white blood cell count so that other stuff so that other stuff can uh come in and wreak havoc on you so whenever you know whenever somebody passes away from AIDS it's usually uh, another another illness that actually kills the person because their T cell count was wiped out uh, due to the virus. He's alive and well now though getting treatment. And that's what I'm saying, Kiyomi, Your brother, thank God, your brother's still here. Easy died, man. It was it was quick. And I I'm just like, I don't know. And maybe, you know, and we gotta think about mental health too. Like when you find something like that out, that's tough. Like when you when you in there, you living your life or whatever. And you find out, yo, you got full-blown AIDS. I, I don't know how you can deal with that. Like, you know what I'm saying? And you're already, like, sick and, like, you know, the human spirit. Finding out news like that, and then you're just like, man, dog, man, I got, you know, I got, I had plans. I had so much to live for, this, that, and the third. And then you get hit with a bombshell like that. And this is a different time where, you know, people viewed AIDS differently than they do now. And so something like that, man, you could just be like, Man, I quit. You know what I mean? So that's tough. But shout out to Eazy E and his family, his friends, his loved ones. I'm glad they got the the birthday corrected after all this time. And uh you say uh AIDS was taking out people quickly back then? Yeah, it was it was it was a different time in '95, but it was just like, and and we was comparing it to like you know, um, but I think Magic found out that he was HIV positive early on, so, and I feel like Magic stayed on top of his treatments, and you know what I'm saying. But man, though, tough. Uh, Clark University is canceling student balances from 2020 to 2021. Shout out to clark university they are canceling student balances for 2020 and 2021 i need all colleges to follow suit i need y'all i need y'all to look at clark university in atlanta and follow suit come on man cancel them balances out man let's do it cancel the balances let's do it man Let's make that a trend in all the universities across the country, man. Starting with Clark Atlanta and we going forward, we bursting forth. Cancel them joints. Oh, another college did follow suit. Oh, you, you graduated from Clark Atlanta? Okay, Kyle Warren, I see you. Yeah, let's keep that going, man. Let's wipe out the balances, man. Come on, man. Help us out. Uh, The United States sells a unique Wu-Tang Clan album forfeited by convicted hedge fund manager Martin Scarelli. So y'all know Martin Scarelli paid like 2 or $3 million for this Wu-Tang album. Uh, Wu-Tang Clan, The RZA, and Silver Rings made a Wu-Tang album, a complete new album, made an extravagant case for it and everything only made one there's only one copy of it this dude uh martin screlli bought it for like 2 million i think i think he spent 2 million on it turns out you know he got into all kind of uh, trouble involving um you know th- this medicine that he was buying and he was overcharging the medicine he overcharging people for the medicine he got into all kind of legal issues and he's in jail now so i guess uh so the United States sold it. So I don't know how much they sold it for or who they sold it to. But I want to hear this album. I want to hear a $2 million album. I want to hear it. Because I want to I ask Martin. I was like, yo, how was the album? Like, if you pay $2 million for an album, that, that, that shit better be fire. And I'm a Wu-Tang fan, but come on, man. $2 million? Hell no, nah, man. I ain't got it. I, that better be the best album. It better be Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. It better be The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. It better be Illmatic. It better be Low End Theory. It better be Doggy Style. It better be Fuji's The Score. It better be every dope album rolled into one for $2 million. And I need videos with it. I need videos with it. Oh, it better not even think about skipping. It better not even think about having a skippable track. It better not even remotely have an ounce of skippability on that thing. If it's even a hint of skippy peanut butter residue, you wasted your money. That album was mad pricey, man. But let's get into into this, y'all. And this is what I want to talk about. This is what I'm bringing it back to, man. Let's get into it. John Hughes, we back on we we back on the movie tip, man. John Hughes, y'all. I want to talk about him. He's my focus of the day. John Hughes is a writer, director, producer. Was killing it in the 80s and 90s. All right, John Hughes. He is responsible for National Lampoon's Vacation, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles, Home Alone, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Weird Science. This is the guy. Okay. Now, I grew up watching his movies in the 80s. Let's go over his filmography real quick. You know what I'm saying? Started out he produced and wrote a movie called National Lampoon's Class Reunion. After that, after that, he wrote the film Mr. Mom which starred Michael Keaton. Now Mr. Mom was funny, it was a box office hit. Mr. Mom was a was a was a go. All right, I've seen the movie, mad funny. And uh, you know, it's one of uh Michael Keaton's early joints. It's probably after the movie Night Shift that he did with uh Henry Winkler. All right. Then he writes National Lampoons Vacation. Now, we all, you know, a lot of us are familiar with the vacation movies, man. Christmas Vacation is probably my favorite of the vacation movies, with the first one coming in a close second. I rewatched all the vacation movies here recently. And I'm a fan of the franchise. Even Vegas Vacation had its moments. um, But I feel like, you know, Vegas Vacation didn't have the same magic as the first three, but you, you know what it is. And the European Vacation was cool. But Christmas Vacation, come on, man, I can't say enough. I can't say enough about that. So he does National Lampoon's Vacation. He wrote that. All right. That movie is funny. National Lampoons Vacation is funny. So I'm like, yo, all right, John Hughes, I see you in your bag. You know what I'm saying? Out here writing the funny. You doing your thing, all right? After that, he does something called Nathan Hayes that I never heard of. Then he writes and directs 16 Candles with Molly Ringwald. So this this is his directorial debut. 16 Candles is a hit, it resonates. It pops. He follows that up immediately with writing, producing, and directing the Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club hits even harder than the one than uh you know 16 Candles. Breakfast Club is a little i can icon- it's an iconic slice of life for the 80s and teen angst and all of this different all of this different stuff the teens were going through in the time. It's a product of its time, it's a time capsule type movie. Great cast. You had Emilio Estevez, Ali Sheedy, Molly Ringwald, Anthony Michael Hall, and Judd Nelson. And each kid represented a different, different, you know, in high school, you got the nerdy kid, you got the jock, you got the pretty girl, you got the outcast girl, and you got the bad boy. Everybody was damn near represented in that core cast. Sincere, you saw Breakfast Club, didn't you? Yeah, did you like it? <laughs> you liked yeah, it. Yeah, I liked it. I saw it a while ago. at did drive, not a drive, but a park thing. Sincere saw it outside, yeah. you know, and and he liked it, so it still resonated generations later. Still resonated with young sincere. You know what I'm saying? Dope movie. Uh, Paul Gleason was also in it. Shout out to Paul Gleason. Uh, oh, uh. MTM TV says breakfast club is overrating. Breakfast club is boring. Tony McGee says. Tony McGee, Tony McGee man, that sounds like a fake name. You made up. I need to watch breakfast club again to see if it really holds up. Cause I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember really when I first saw breakfast club, I liked it. I was like, yo, this movie's dope. You know what I mean? He said, I am not fake. <laughs> um, Oh, that's Tony McGee with an eye. My bad. Breakfast Club is a classic, says Janelle. You know what I mean? I didn't think it was that great. Tony McGee is female. Tony McGee is female. I can't see, I can't see the uh profile pic from here, Tony. My apologies. It was okay. A lot of y'all, it's mixed emotions on Breakfast Club over here in the Patriot Saint division. All right, so after Breakfast Club, y'all, he does European Vacation. He just wrote that. Then he writes and directs Weird Science. Weird Science was another movie I loved growing up. Two teenagers, they create the perfect woman played by Kelly LeBrock. Anthony Michael Hall, who was in The Breakfast Club, was also in Weird Science. Bill Paxton is in Weird Science. Robert Downey Jr. is in Weird Science. Weird Science was a movie I loved. I was like, yo, this movie's dope. I haven't seen it in years, but I can tell by the reaction in the the Chatsworth over here, the Patron Saint division, they feeling Weird Science. They rocking with it. They rocking with it. Same man, though. All John Hughes, same guy. We got 16 Candles. We got Breakfast Club. We got Weird Science. We got National Lampoon's Vacation. We got the European Vacation that he wrote, all right? Follows uh, Weird Science up with Pretty in Pink, who also has Molly Ringwald, okay? He didn't direct that, but he wrote it. You know what I'm saying? Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink was solid. I I like Pretty in Pink. They had John Cryer in there, Andrew McCarthy. Y'all remember those guys? Andrew McCarthy from Mannequin and Weekend at Bernie's. And then John Cryer from uh, Two Men, Two and a Half Men. Yeah, he was Duck. What was his name? Duck in uh, Pretty in Pink. Duck was a cool character, too. So he's writing all of these dope, like, characters and stuff like that and reusing the same actors, which I always love. He follows Pretty in Pink up that same year with Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He wrote, produced, and directed Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is one of my favorite movies. It holds up. I've seen it recently. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. I just love the movie. I've seen it so many times growing up. You know, um, the characters... The music, the soundtrack, the vibe, the city—they really, they really made Chicago look dope in that movie. Side note: Another side note. John Hughes is from the Chicago area, so a lot of his movies are based in and around Chicago, which is another reason why I'm super digging the John Hughes wave. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, classic. Cameron, Cameron's house was fire. Cameron's house was fire. You understand me. I wanted to live in Cameron's house so bad growing up. Charlie Sheen was in that. I'm not sure if that was his debut, but he was in that. Jennifer Grey from Dirty Dancing played Ferris's sister. Jeffrey Jones with his weird, weird ass. He got a lot. He got some some uh, some pedophile issues that he didn't deal with, but he was great as the principal. Edie, Edie McClurg, the secretary at the school. Five-year Ferris Bueller's day off. Matthew Broderick killed it in that joint. The run home, the scene where he's running home. Oh man, I was like, yo, it gets no better than this, man. It gets no better than this. Matthew Broderick, man, I fumbled on the on the Broderick, man. Watch out, y'all. Y'all had to put me on blast like that, man. Matthew Bro Broderick, it's Broderick, but you know you got to you got to put it all together. Oh, that that run home scene was fire. I was like, yo, this movie. uh, Movies with good endings. Oh. And then the fact that he made it all the way home and the principal was there. Come on, man. Well done. Anyway, so John Hughes killed with that. Then after that, he followed up. He wrote Some Kind of Wonderful, which is a movie. uh, Mary Stewart Masterson, uh, Eric Stoltz, and Leah Thompson was in that joint. Leah Thompson. Played uh, Marty McFly's mom. You know what I mean? Eric Stoltz was in the movie Mask. And check this out. Not the mask, but the movie Mask was Cher. He played the son in that. And check this out. Eric Stoltz was supposed to be Marty McFly. Eric Stoltz is also the dude that injects uh, Uma Thurman in the chest with the adrenaline in Pulp Fiction. He was supposed to be Marty McFly. And when I say he was supposed to be Marty McFly, I'm not saying like, you know, he was in the running to play, Marty McFly. He was about to be cast as Marty McFly. He shot scenes in the movie as Marty McFly. They replaced him. With Michael J. Fox, after he already shot multiple scenes, that's what I—that's what I mean by he was Marty McFly. But, but for some reason, they was just like, "Nah, this ain't really working." And then they got Michael J. Fox. Cold game out here. Cold game out here in Hollywood. Can you imagine what that would have done for his career if he was Marty McFly in Back to the Future? Back to the Future was one of the biggest hits of all time at the time it came out. Man, listen, I'm sure he he probably hates Back to the Future. He probably hates that movie. He probably like, hey, man, don't put Back to the Future on around me, man. Turn that off. Because, man, and who knows? Who knows? If Eric Stoltz was in that movie, who knows? Back to the Future might not have popped like it did. Because we look at it now, Michael J. Fox was perfect. But Back to the Future, that's a whole different podcast episode. Don't get me started on that. All right, so he follows some kind of wonderful up with writing, producing, and directing Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with Steve Martin and John Candy. Steve Martin and John. I love Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's one of my favorite movies. I love this movie. I watch it all the time. I've seen it so many times. It's funny, it's hilarious, and it's touching at the same time. John Candy, you know, at one, at one moment he's annoying. The next moment you feel sorry for the guy, you're like, man, come on, man. You got a crush on Steve Martin, Simone? I get it, man. I get it. I get the appeal of Steve Martin. Playing trains and automobiles, I think everybody should watch that every Thanksgiving holiday season. It's a dope movie, man. Um, I love it. Love that movie, man. Can't say enough about it. That scene where John Candy was struggling while he was driving and he was trying to, trying to get the cigarette and the cigarette flew in his lap and he was in there and his arms got stuck. He was trying to take his coat off. And, you know, he veering off the road, Steve Martin sleep. And when Steve Martin wake up, and they almost died. And then he look over at, at John Candy, and John Candy's the devil. And then you look at them again, and then they turn into skeletons from the man. Oh, don't get me started on that, man. I miss John Candy. I miss John Candy, man. And remember, Kevin Bacon was in that movie, too, in the beginning when they had the little race. Steve Martin and him raced for the taxi cab. And they were running down the street. They had the eye contact going. They running down the street, full steam, trying to get the cab first. Now keep kevin Kevin Bacon in mind because the next movie um the next movie John Hughes did he wrote, produced, and directed she's having a baby starring Kevin Bacon Kevin bacon uh I think it was Elizabeth McGovern and Alec Baldwin is in this thing. she's having a baby. she's having a baby was a good movie. It wasn't up to you know it wasn't up to the level of planes trains and Ferris Bueller's day off. But it was a good movie and uh here's here's what i remember most about this movie it was the first time i heard the song this woman's work by kate bush that was later covered by maxwell this was the first time i heard this woman's work and it was a scene where you know he thought she wasn't gonna make it through the pregnancy through the delivery process and he thought he was gonna lose her They were playing that song, and I was like, yo, I used to always rewatch that scene because the song was so good. This Woman's Work. That was the first time I ever heard that song. I was like, yo, this song is amazing. And then Maxwell covered it years down the line, and he killed it. So, yeah, man, uh, she's having a baby. He follows She's Having a Baby up by writing The Great Outdoors with John Candy again and Dan Aykroyd. This movie was a good time. It was funny. One of the funniest visuals in this movie was the bear getting shot in the butt. Remember they shot that bear in the butt and then that you see the bear's raw booty cheeks after the blast? That bear getting the fur shot off his booty cheeks and him running out of there with a raw booty was one of the funniest things I had ever seen at that time. I was like, yo, they shot the fur off this bear's booty and had him running out with raw booty cheeks. (laughs) If you haven't seen The Great Outdoors, check out the bear scene. Just YouTube it. Check out the bear scene in The Great Outdoors. All right. Another dope movie. He follows that up with, he writes, produces, and directs Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck John Candy, once again, Macaulay Culkin is in this thing. And this is the first, this is my introduction to Macaulay Culkin. Uncle Buck is fire. I was like, yo, I remember, I remember not really wanting to see Uncle Buck when it was released in theaters. But when I watched it, I was like, yo, this movie is fire. John Candy was perfect in the role. He was making them big-ass pancakes. His, his car always sounded like a shotgun blasting off. McCully Culkin and the, and the kid that played his sister were adorable. They were perfect. Great movie, man. Great movie. John Candy killed it again. John Hughes is in his goddamn bag. You understand me? Uncle Buck was a box office hit. Um, yeah, man. Uncle Buck. And then... John Hughes is killing. Look, this track record, all right? So he follows that up with writing and producing Christmas Vacation that same year, Christmas Vacation that same year. And we all know Christmas Vacation, man, funny, funny. Squirrel in the Christmas tree flying out. Randy Quaid in that joint. You know, him getting mad because he didn't get the uh, the, the Christmas bonus. And then they bringing, they bringing the boss in. And he was like, yo, that's pretty low, mister. If I had a rubber hose, I'd beat you. Elaine is in it from Seinfeld. Christmas Vacation, the lights, and you'd be feeling sorry for Clark Griswold because all he wants to do is just have these magical family moments and then all this shit starts crumbling around him every time. He always has the best intentions in these movies. He wants to have a family trip, a family getaway to Europe, uh, a great family Christmas, and everything goes wrong. Remember that dry-ass, dehydrated turkey they cut into? Don't get me started on that, man. All right, so he follows Christmas Vacation up with writing Home Alone. He wrote Home Alone, one of the biggest comedies to ever exist, one of the highest grossing comedies of all time. He wrote that and produced it. John Hughes wrote and produced one of the best comedies of all time, Home Alone. Macaulay Culkin killed it. It made so much money. It was number one for mad weeks. This is John Hughes. John Hughes got to be feeling like, yo, man, I do this. John Hughes got to be feeling like, yo, I do this. Home Alone is just classic. We're watching it every year. It's a Christmas classic. The movie will never die. It's always just gonna be on. It's gonna be shown. It's gonna be played. And we're gonna be we're gonna pull up. We're gonna look at it. We're gonna watch it. We're gonna watch Joe Pesci be in an absolute comedy. The same year he did Goodfellas, he was in Home Alone. You see. Joe Pesci killing cats in Goodfellas, and then you see him in this, him and Daniel Stern as the the uh, the uh wet bandits. Who was it? The sticky bandits. I think it was the wet bandits. Second one, they was the sticky bandits. Boom. John Hughes, y'all, he follows that up with he wrote and produced career opportunities. Career opportunities bombed at the box office. Matter of fact, I've never even seen it. Jennifer Connelly is in it. Uh, so, you know, a little bit of a fallback after uh, the tremendous success of Home Alone, he produced Only the Lonely with John Candy. He produced that. He wrote the movie Dutch with Ed O'Neill, which is, I love the movie Dutch. I love the movie Dutch. I watch that all the time. I love that movie. It didn't do well at the box office at all, but I love the movie Dutch. It was dope. Um, So he's back. He wrote, produced, and directed Curly Sue with Jim Belushi. It was a a hit. It wasn't like a hit like his previous hits, but it was a hit. It was fun. It was cute. The girl that played Curly Sue was funny. It was a good time. You know what I mean? Follows that up with writing Beethoven, Charles Groden, Big Ass St. Bernard. That movie was a hit. He writes and produced Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. I think... Home Alone 2 is better than the first one. That's just me. I love, I love, I love one and two, but I'm gonna give the edge to part two just because Tim Curry was in that thing. And it, it, it was just I feel like Lost in New York just just uh it had my attention better up until the pranks. And then the pranks in the second home alone made me laugh harder than the first one. First one, I was like, yeah, these are cool pranks. These are cool pranks. But the pranks in Home Alone 2 made me laugh a lot harder for some reason. You know what I'm saying? All right. And then he follows that up with Dennis the De He wrote and produced Dennis the De He wrote uh, – no, he didn't write that. He didn't write that. He wrote and produced Dennis the De but Beethoven's second, he just did some extra stuff on there. He produced and directed Baby's Day Out, which – didn't do that much at the box office, but it was funny to me. Baby's Day Out was funny to me, man. Uh, when he was getting his crotch stomped out, when it, like he caught he caught on fire, and his boy was trying to put out the fire, so he started stomping on his crotch. Mad funny. Baby's Day Out was a good time. And then he, um, actually, he just wrote and produced Baby's Day Out. He didn't direct that one. He wrote and produced Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Okay. He wrote and produced The 101 Dalmatians with Meryl Streep. He wrote and produced Flubber with Robin Williams. Unfortunately, he wrote and produced Home Alone 3, which is hot garbage. To me, it's hot garbage. People be trying to stick up for Home Alone 3, but come on, man. You know it's garbage. You know it's garbage. Once, once you replace the kid, you garbage out the gate. Garbage out the gate. Now nah, Tim Curry is alive, y'all. Don't be killing off Tim Curry. Tim Curry is alive, y'all. He had he some strokes, so he- he's in bad shape from the strokes, but he's alive. Home Alone 3 was garbage. Scarlett Johansson is actually in Home Alone 3, uh, a little fun fact. And then he wrote and produced this movie called Reach the Rock, never heard of. Um, he wrote Just Visiting uh he wrote apparently he wrote Made in Manhattan with Jennifer Lopez um and then he wrote Drill Bit Taylor and that's his last credit because he passed away and um he passed away in 2009 John Hughes man I appreciate everything he brought to the table John Hughes kind of looks like if you look at John Hughes he looks like Edward Herman Edward Herman Edward Herman is the dude in Lost Boys that was actually the head of the vampires. Remember that guy that had the record store? He had this charming, innocent look to him with the glasses, and he was tall, and you know what I mean? And he was actually the head of the vampires. Yeah. That's what John Hughes looked like. I appreciate John Hughes. Like, uh, all those movies meant a lot to me, man. Like, you know, watching them – really taking those movies in and enjoying them and like the vibe and the music and everything, everything about the John Hughes movies always felt like you, he was really capturing the time that it came out. Everything, everything felt current, especially like when he would write and direct, like if you look at Ferris Bueller's day off and the breakfast club and stuff like that, um, these, these movies were of their time. Like as far as the fashion and the music and stuff like that. So you can look at you can look at his movies and get the real time capsule of the 80s and you know what was cracking in, what was popping. And still hopefully it, it still resonates. Like if you come to the movies late, like you know, like Sincere, watching Breakfast Club way later, you know, coming in fresh. And like um, and I like I like I like movies that are time capsules of the time that are still dope. Like when you watch a movie from the 70s and it's very 70s and like, you know, oh, this is this is what was hot right then and there. And like, you know, I like seeing 80s movies like that because some some movies you can't really pinpoint. Like if you if you watch if you watch The Godfather, which was made in the 70s, but it was set in like the 30s and 40s. You don't know. You don't know when that movie was made. You just be like, "Oh man, you know, I don't know when this movie was made I know it re- you know it represents a certain time period, but you don't know when that when the actual movie was made, so I like watching movies that were made in a certain time in a certain decade, and they feel like that decade um so shout out to John Hughes man uh one of my favorites in the writing directing game um I would love to have like you know movies like that under my belt um And I appreciate him, man. I was sad when he died because I was like, man, John Hughes, man. That's my childhood right there. That's my childhood, all the movies he brought to the table. Good times, man. Uh, So, yeah, man, I wanted to highlight John Hughes real quick. And I'm bringing verbal cardio back to the movie side, man, because this is, you know, I could talk all day about movies. Um, Also, uh, in the comments section, let me know what your favorite John Hughes movie is. Out of the movies I listed here, what's your favorite? Actually, give me your 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 top three John Hughes movies because I know it's going to be hard to pick one. And so, you know, I want to know. I want to know. That's one thing about movies. You're right, MTM. They last forever. They last forever, man. Home Alone 1 and 2 uh, says Candy Cammy. That's her favorite. Two right there. Uh, yeah y'all let me know your favorite Home Alone joints in the comment section below I mean not favorite Home Alone joints your favorite three John Hughes uh, movies whether he wrote them or directed them let me know your favorite three out of the movies I listed Uh, mine would be Planes Trains and Automobiles um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Dang, man it's tough because i really like home alone one and two but christmas vacation i gotta get that i gotta get that spot to christmas vacation i just laughed harder at christmas vacation so that's my three right there ferris bueller's day off planes trains and automobiles christmas vacation man y'all let me know um y'all let me know your three in the comments section um uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of verbal cardio drink more water get the water going shout out to my patron saints in here live as i go they sitting right here with me looking me dead in the eyes man love y'all passionately in the shower over here randomly cj moyo tanya <laughs> you got to give them the you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying shout out to you guys thanks for pulling up shout out to sabrina for holding it down in the live feed um yeah y'all i'm bringing i'm bringing my movie love back to verbal cardio because you know why not why not i take it out anyway man shout out to the bakery crew Patron saints uh we're gonna be having more guests on the show we're working on everybody's schedules right now so we're looking to have more guests uh me and sabrina have been working on the targets and i wanna have a variety of guests on i wanna i wanna have i wanna have rappers on here i wanna have musicians i wanna have singers i wanna have actors i wanna have you know Everybody, you know, anything I can think of, man, bring them in. So uh, stay tuned for that, man. Kiyomi, shout out to Kiyomi, man, in the bakery for show, for show, for show. And much love to your brother, Kiyomi. And, uh, you know, I hope he's doing well. hope he's taking care of himself, and I hope the, the treatments are working for him, man. You know what I'm saying? Much love on that tip. Um, yeah, y'all, appreciate y'all. Thank y'all for tuning in to another session of That Verbal cardio.